0: Welcome to Working Matters. I'm Claudia Rempel. And I'm Carl Edwards. We are finishing up our series today on surviving a bad boss with our last final, but probably not the only remaining to category, to this category. <laughs> yes, of the people pleaser, conflict avoiding boss. Well, shall we say on the positive
1: side, it's nice that there's people out there that want people to enjoy their work. But work doesn't go that smoothly and there are times when you have to call people on when they're not pulling their weight. There are decisions to be made. You can't keep everyone happy all of the time. And there's a category out there that seriously
0: try to do that. I've been lucky enough not to have this boss that people <laughs> use her boss. <laughs> Or maybe, I have, maybe I've had bosses with certain inclinations, but what is the difficult thing about this boss? What is it that makes this boss kind of get under our skin? It's almost
1: impossible to get them to make a decision. That is really the crux of the matter, is if there's something that doesn't work for everyone, they will wait, they will try and throw it back on you, you to deal with it. They just have trouble making those decisions. Now, we're saying our insight is that they have a need to be liked by everybody. They want things to go smoothly and they don't want to be categorized as any of these other kind of bosses we've been talking about these past few weeks. And they go out of their way not to be perceived that way. So again, their focus inadvertently, again, is on themselves and how everything they do is being read by everyone else and that absorbs their attention.
0: So they may not pay attention to work produ- production or the quality of work because they don't want to be perceived as the micromanager.
1: Exactly. That's a good example. If they've had a negative experience with the micromanaging boss, they'll go out of their way not to be perceived that way. And they'll end up making poor decisions based on that. There are people who need to be told very directly what to do. problem with the micromanaging boss is that they just do that all the time as their own style. That's why we deal with that as a problem boss. But it is appropriate for leaders to step in at times for certain crucial decisions and overrule things or give explicit instructions to another professional on an occasional basis, but you won't get it here.
0: On second thought, I have had the people-pleaser boss. Uh I thought so. (laughs) And one of the things that came up a lot was they couldn't have difficult conversations with our constituents. They couldn't say no. They couldn't Mm -hmm. uh, point out something that was not right, not well done, and they wanted me to do it.
1: There you go. So you just came up with what the problem with them is. They know the outcome needs to happen. Client can't have some aspect of what they want, but they somehow can't be the one to deliver that message, and it gets to be
0: put on you. And Usually in those circumstances, the person couldn't hear it from me and wanted to talk to the boss about it.
1: And so it just took what would have taken one conversation just turned into three, where you ended up back with that person to begin with. And then what often happens is they will countermand what you decided with that client. If you were able to be direct about something that couldn't happen, and it upset them to the degree that they wanted to talk to your supervisor, and that supervisor reversed But you decided, again, that just saps the energy and the motivation right out of you for wanting to have that kind of encounter with the client again. Very frustrating. The other most common time when you would see this not working is when you get people not pulling their weight at work, not doing their job. And so it ends up falling on the other people in the team who do have a style, who can't stand to see anything fall through, or committed to the quality of the enterprise and want to keep it high. So they start feeling used and abused while the others let it slide. By avoiding the confrontation with the non-performer, you inadvertently get your performers really upset and disillusioned with you. But that's a lower level of conflict for you because they will go with it a lot longer.
0: One of the things I I do see that it creates is in times where there are certain people doing better, they're not necessarily rewarded or given a chance for more responsibility because the boss doesn't want to treat anyone differently. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Setting
1: the precedent for someone who deserves it might create an opportunity where you were felt forced to provide it for someone who didn't deserve it. You know, when it comes right down to it, these are excuses. These are excuses for avoiding the difficult conversation. And that's why you have to be careful with this kind of supervisor because it ends up backfiring. For their sake if you I mean if you identify those tendencies in yourself what you're risking is building a team of low performers because you're a very attractive supervisor to them they get away with almost anything and alienating your high performers because they know they won't be recognized and they know the low performers won't be called on the carpet so they're going to go looking somewhere else so you've actually created a situation
0: where you're attracting the wrong kind of people the wrong kind of people Now, you've given us some insight into this person that they're really just a little too concerned with what people think about them. How do you suggest we deal with this situation? What do we do with this type of boss? Well, you know, it's going to sound a
1: little cheesy. You want to compliment this person. You want to be the one who can articulate what a good job they're doing. Again, it's another form of partnering. So we don't want to be insincere or make things up. You're pointing out the things that they do well. You want to start the process giving them what they need, which is that you like working for them, that whatever you can sincerely articulate, you like about what's going on. And then into that, you're bringing the information about what's not working in a constructive light so that something can be done about it. So for example, for the non-performer, you would be able to say, unless these tasks are brought up to the same level as everyone else's, everyone's schedule starting to slide a little as we're not getting such and such a product till this time. And they just jump in. And you want to find a way to articulate that distinction for them, that they're actually creating the more awkward situation for themselves by letting something go than if they dealt with it. Because they aren't aware of it. They're taking the road of least resistance.
0: And I like bringing up this question because I feel so often we don't know how we enable people in their destructive slash inappropriate behavior. How? What can we do to not enable this person? What are those things that we may find ourselves doing that are actually not helping?
1: Well, one is, in the case of non-performers, just jumping in there
0: and doing it for them.
1: So then you're rewarding the supervisors inactivity and not confronting because everything got done anyway.
0: So by me going ahead and doing the work that my coworker didn't finish, I'm actually not helping.
1: You're not helping at all. So you've actually created the situation that has frustrated you.
0: But so often those lines are blurred. If you're on a team, if something needs to get done, it's sort of everybody's responsibility. Is there a way sort of to ahead of time compartmentalize who's going to do what so that it's Mm. a little more obvious?
1: You can do that somewhat with job descriptions and be as explicit as you can. But you don't want to be too compartmentalized, because then you kind of can end in a situation where people say things like, that's not my job.
0: But maybe on a project. But on a, on a
1: project, you have your roles, and then you, what frames the discussion is, is the outcome or what you're trying to achieve. So you keep saying, what needs to happen to make that happen? The task in all of this is to try and take the emotion out of the conversation. I think you're right. If you need to vent your frustration, you need to find some place else to do it. Do it at home or with a friend or with someone in a different department. Get that out. That's legitimate. It is frustrating. It is unfair. Get that out. But then, So when you come back to this situation, you can talk about it in terms of the project itself. That's what the supervisor is afraid of, too. They're, they're concerned about all this flack and negative feedback and things getting back to their boss and being perceived negatively. So if you can take all that emotion out of it and be, just be able to talk about something not working without being upset at them, well, that sets them free. You've just taken all the things that they fear most out of the equation, and then you can talk more about, you know, this really isn't working.
0: I think you're right taking the emotion out of it is is very important and I'm I'm struck even in my own experiences how much my emotions have really played into a working environment either positive or negative why is that why is it that we're so emotionally invested in our work it may just be a job but there's something that You know, when you hear people complain, they're they're genuinely upset. They're genuinely upset. Well, it's the other way around.
1: It's something in our culture, because jobs are so difficult and we struggle so much with bosses, we want to reduce it and call it just a job. And why can't you let it just be a job? But it's not. It's our life. It's most of our waking hours, and we should be invested in it. That's what gets our juices flowing. I mean, that's what we're claiming in our whole umbrella premise of having a workplace culture that works for you instead of against you. These are people's lives, and if you can tap into that, you're going to be able to do amazing things together. So it's core. We are we are highly invested. That's part of it is positive. When it becomes difficult and we're so much invested and we feel demeaned or overlooked or unappreciated, the list goes on and on, we're not saying that that's appropriate or that we should just stuff it. We're just saying the place to deal with it is not with the supervisor or with the person with whom you're having the difficulty. vent it somewhere else. For those of our listeners who are married, that's what your marriage partner's for, for. There's vows. After you take it all out for them, they will stay with you. And try and take the initiative to create a positive frame for the complex things that come up because of somebody's style. Again, the people-pleasing boss who wants everybody to be happy all the time is not a bad person. But that style doesn't work when things get complicated when people don't perform, when resources are scarce, and there's, either, there's money for either the equipment or raises. These bosses experience that as a lose-lose scenario. If they decide for the equipment, everyone's going to be upset about not getting a raise. They get the raises, everyone's going to be upset because they're still working with you know last-generation equipment. So no decision is made. It's complicated, and we need to frame our loyalty to these people and what they're about in such a way that it's helpful that they can make a decision and we understand. Again, now speaking to who's probably not listening, who we wish was listening, which is the people-pleasing boss. If you're aware of that in yourself, the more you can let people in on your thinking and the complex choices that you're facing, the more you're helping them partner with you and understand the wider context.
0: And you'll, f- you'll
1: find you a lot more support for these difficult decisions.
0: And we've said it before, even though you don't communicate with people about what's really going on, they're going to find out. They know.
1: Everybody knows all of the time. <laughs> you can hide nothing. They may not know. And if, if they don't know accurately what's going on, they're making up something in their minds. And it's I probably far worse and far more damaging than if they just knew what you were really thinking and planning.
0: Well, I hope our listeners have enjoyed our series. I certainly have. It's given me some insights into my own uh, errors and uh, just uh, insights into how to deal with difficult bosses at times. I'm thankful, Carl, for your insights. Well, it's been a good series, and
1: we'll just keep this thing going, making sure that work is our life and that we can go for it and take the initiative and make the most of it, whatever our role is, whether or not we have power and thrive and really make our contribution.
0: And certainly some of our listeners may not be bosses yet, but they will be someday. And I hope that some of the insights that we've talked about on the boss's perspective may influence you in the future to be a better boss. Thanks for listening. You can visit our website at www.boldenterprises.com. This
1: podcast is a Bold Enterprises production.